Sunday show. I'm Janine Moloff, the producer and host of Progressive News Network, otherwise known as PNN, as well as its companion show, EJR, or the Environmental Justice Report. And this week, we're doing a little bit of both shows. Keep in mind, EJR is the companion show that was introduced after I took over here at PNN. Sorry, folks. Anybody who's listened to the show off and on, you get used to the coughing. I'm asthmatic, and it is what it is. Anyway, so welcome this Sunday. If you saw our advert, it says EJR with Janine Moloff, in other words, the Environmental Justice Report. And the title is Florida's Radioactive Roads, Part 2, Mosaics Roll. Mosaics Roll, excuse me. So last week on the Environmental Justice Report, I discussed the imminent passage of a law in Florida which would permit the state to use, guess what, radioactive materials in road pavement. Now, the materials I want to use come from this byproduct called phosphogypsum, which is created in the process of making fertilizer. And phosphogypsum has some radioactive elements including radium, which creates radon, and radon's a proven carcinogen. So this is the issue here. We talked about it last week. Now, this week I'm going to discuss the corporation that pushed for this law. We're going to get into that part just a little bit because when I started getting into the research, what I found was it's more convoluted than I previously thought. But the main, the main corporation pushing for this um, that wants really to relax any and all of these environmental, pesky environmental rules and perhaps might cut down on their profit, um, is known as Mosaic. Now, I see that we have a caller here, and one of the things I try to tell callers is that I don't take calls until the last 15 minutes of the show. Um, you know, I just don't. Excuse me. But I think I will take it in just a minute. So if this caller will just wait a minute, I'll get through the introduction. All right. So Mosaic Corporation is a Fortune 500 company, and they are—they basically produce, uh, you know, fertilizer. And in my research, what I found is they are owned by a larger corporation and. Oh, they were owned actually, and then they created their own spinoff. But it all comes back to Wall Street and Wall Street banks. Are you shocked? I'm not. This is just another example of predatory capitalism and corporate rule, and this is part of a series. The second story will deal with the revocation of Medicaid coverage, including how Florida revoked coverage for, get this, a seven year old child battling leukemia. But the GOP claims the mantle of being pro life. Oh, God, the irony. We're also going to have another little segment of My Little Margie, and we'll also announce the Jackass of the Week honoree. So I'm going to take this call for a few minutes so that I can get on without interruption. I don't normally do this. So live, let's see, how do I do this? Hello? Hello? You're on the air. Hi, how are you doing? I'm fine. What can I do yeah. for you today? Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I agree with all of what you're saying. Basically, it's very ironic how the GOP claims to be pro-life, but then they want to do all this stuff that's against uh, 
people's lives. Agreed. Yes, it, it, that's it. And I think this even goes beyond conservative and liberal talking points. This is about basically the right of all of us to have a relatively healthy environment, uh, period. And, you know, the, not only the lives of uh, adults, but also of children. Uh, the irony that the GOP claims to be pro-life is just, I don't think they have any self-awareness as to how repugnant they sound. Um, but is, I'm about to get into our stories. Is there anything else I can do for you, sir? Because normally I don't take questions until the last 15 minutes. Uh, no, I'm just going to listen. I appreciate it, though. Okay. Thank you, sir. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Let's see if I can do this. Okay. There we go. All righty. So that was nice to hear for a change. Usually we hear something that's not so nice. <laughs> okay. So... We'll get on with our show now. So on with our first story. Okay, so the company that is the largest producer of phosphogypsum, which is a byproduct that comes from the production of fertilizer, is a company called Mosaic. Okay, now I have some information about Mosaic, and this is from their own website, mosaicco.com about. So no one can claim that I'm, you know, lying or anything. So this is our mission. And they have this, um, oh, this little slogan, quote, we help the world grow the food it needs, end quote. Now, you have to understand something. It's as if farmers couldn't grow crops, apparently, before there was uh, commercially made fertilizer, which is nonsense. Organic farming works. We know this. Anyway, but this is really, in my opinion, more about agribusiness. All right, not, not family farmers. So they go on to say, and I'm reading straight from their website, who we are, quote, maximizing efficiencies and minimizing our footprint. They go on to say, quote, the Mosaic Company, New York Stock Exchange, MOS, is the world's leading integrated producer of concentrated phosphate and potash, two of the three most important nutrients in agriculture. We employ more than 13,000 people in six countries to serve farmers all over the world. The people of Mosaic work with purpose to maximize efficiencies and minimize our environmental footprint. We strive to be a thoughtful and engaged neighbor, using our financial resources, expertise, and innovative spirit to commit to good corporate citizenship, end quote. Okay. I practically choked on that last phrase, good corporate citizenship. What utter nonsense. But this is what they have on their website. Okay. Uh, they go on to say, I'm not going to read all of this, where we are. This is again from Mosaic's own website, quote, serving the most promising agricultural regions. Quote, Mosaic is well positioned to serve the world's most promising agricultural regions with long-lived reserves and strategically placed efficient production assets. Our extensive distribution network is a highly effective and agile platform to serve our customers well, delivering the products they need when promised at a cost-competitive rate. We accomplish this critical work safely and sustainably making responsible decisions at every step in the process from mine to market, end quote. From mine, in other words, you have to understand something to get phosphate. They have to mine this stuff, all right? This is not fertilizers we've come to know where, you know, basically it's 
manure. This isn't that kind of fertilizer. So that's what mosaic claims to be. Now, I have another article here, and this is from a group called undark.org. Okay? And the article is um, the article is entitled "Environmentalists Target Mountains of Fertilizer Waste." The subtitle is "The U.S. Houses Hundreds of Millions of Tons of Phosphogypsum in Open Air Stacks, but Regulation Is Inconsistent." End quote. Well, that's a polite way of putting it. Wow. Now, Undark. If I quote a little further here because it's kind of an odd name, isn't it? Um, in their About section, it says following, quote, Undark is a nonprofit, editorially independent digital magazine exploring the intersection of science and society. It is published with generous funding from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation through its Knight Science Journalism Fellowship Program at MIT, otherwise known as the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Okay, so this, you know, has some, you know, some uh, roots here, right? Apparently, Undark was co-founded in 2016. It was under the auspices of the Night Science Journalism Program, quote, by journalist Deborah Bloom and Tom Zeller, Jr. Okay, now, I think the name's kind of odd. They say the name Undark comes from, quote, a murky, murky century-old mingling of science and commerce. Okay. All right. And apparently, I'm going to read straight from this because I can't make this up. Quote, the name Undark arises from a mercury, not mercury, I'm sorry, a murky century-old mingling of science and commerce, one that resulted in a radium-based industrial and consumer product called Undark that was both awe-inspiring and, as scientists would only later prove, toxic and deadly. We appropriate the name as a signal to readers that our magazine will explore science not just as a gee whiz phenomena, but as a frequently, frequently wondrous, sometimes contentious, and occasionally troubling byproduct of human culture, end quote. Okay, I think that's just a great way to put it. Now I understand it anyway. So basically, Mosaic uh, has mountains of this phosphogypsum, which contains radioactive elements, in open-air stacks. They look like mountains, actually. You know, you could be driving through Florida and you say, wow, I didn't know Florida had mountains. They don't. That's phosphogypsum. It's truly frightening. So this article is by a reporter named Bianca Fortis. This report, rather. And it was uh, published April 13, 2022. So this is really a report. So they go into some history. So we're going to spend some time on this particular report today. And then probably next week, unless something else happens, um, we will talk more about not only Mosaic, but their um, more of their business dealings, okay, as well as business and politics mix. We're going to touch upon it today, but not as much because this gets very convoluted. I'm just going to tell you, take a little sip of water. Excuse me, folks. Uh, so, sorry about this. It's an orange air day in Missouri, and I am 
having some issues. All right. So let's start with the report here. So mid-September of 2016, Tampa, Florida, there was a reporter for News Channel 8 named Steve Andrews. And Mr. Andrews received a very disturbing phone call. Apparently, a sinkhole had opened in a small city in Polk County called Mulberry. Okay, so Andrews is quoted as saying, quote, I went up to the assignment desk and asked them to send the chopper up. Um, the guys radioed back and said, man, this looks like something from the moon. Uh, and then he added later, quote, it looked like a crater, like you just dropped down straight to hell, end quote. This is coming from News Channel 8 reporter Steve Andrews. Later they found out the sinkhole, according to TampaBay.com News, measured some 152 feet across the diameter at its widest point, and it was 220 feet deep. That was as of October that year in 2016, and it opened underneath a 700-acre phosphogypsum stack. That, that's, that's hard to even, you know, contemplate. Okay? Now, a phosphogypsum stack, again, you're, it looks like a man-made mountain, okay, because it basically is, but it's a man-made mountain of waste products that contain radioactive materials. And, you know, they described it as, quote, a pyramid-like structure of radioactive waste created during the fertilizer production process, end quote. Now, the sinkhole that, you know, uh, basically um, Mr. Andrews reported on sent apparently 215 million gallons, quote, of acidic water into the Florida aquifer. I'm going I'm to read this exactly as it says. Quote, the sinkhole, this is in 2016, mind you, the sink, quote, the sinkhole sent 215 million gallons of acidic water into the Florida aquifer, a major source of drinking water for the state, end quote. This is truly frightening. Now, you think, how did they get away with this? Wasn't the EPA, this is me talking, wasn't the EPA, you know, questioning this? Wasn't the state-level EPA? Eh, wrong. Okay. So, there was a 2019 report from the Fertilizer Institute, and this is as reported by EPA.gov in 2020. The report, the, tw the Fertilizer Institute report was uh, basically created in 2019. Now, Fertilizer Institute, okay, this is an industry group, all right? They are basically lobbyists. Let's make no mistake about it. So they have a conflict of interest here. But this 2019 report from the Fertilizer Institute uh, estimated some 734 million tons of phosphogypsum had accumulated in the United States. And that the industry group, namely the Fertilizer Institute, um, was, you know, predicting that it would steadily increase every year after that. Now, the phosphogypsum, again, this is the waste product from fertilizer. It is the waste product that contains radioactive materials. The phosphogypsum material sits in like 70 or so open-air piles. These piles, again, they look like mountains. They can be hundreds of feet tall. They can be hundreds of acres wide. Okay, so I'm going to read this line because it, it, 
it says it so well. Quote, that material sits in more than 70 similar open-air piles, which can be hundreds of feet tall and hundreds of acres wide, rising above the horizon like powdery mountains the color of ash, end quote. Wow. Now, the next line is fertilizer is a lucrative business. And, and my response, I can't help it. I'm sorry. It's, I just feel like saying, yeah, no shit. And, by the way, the pun was very intended. But it gets worse. This basically says for every ton of phosphoric acid produced during the process of creating fertilizer, uh, quote, approximately five tons of phosphogypsum R2. So for basically the phosphogypsum um, waste product is going to be five times more than the original product. Okay, it pollutes five times more. Now, the phosphogypsum waste can also contain substances that, yes, are very toxic and are dangerous, at the very least dangerous to human health. Uh, these materials include arsenic. You know what arsenic is. It's poison. Cadmium and chromium. Now, phosphogypsum waste also contains uranium. Ouch. Thorium and radium, and get this, emits radon gas. Now, radon is particularly worrisome because, according to health officials, radon is, quote, the leading cause of lung cancer for non-smokers, according to EPA estimates, end quote. Okay? And why should you care? Let's say you live in Florida. Let's say you live near one of these phosphogypsum stacks. Let's say Florida starts paving the roads with this crap, and then your kid comes down with lung cancer. You don't smoke. No one in the family does. You can thank the fertilizer industry. Okay? You can thank Radon for that. Now, according to this report also, approximately one-third of all phosphogypsum stacks in the United States are located in Florida. Okay? Now, the stack in Mulberry, you know, the one that developed that, set, that, that big sinkhole, is managed by Mosaic. Here we go. We get back to the Fortune 500 company, Mosaic. And Mosaic has, according to this report again, quote, significant political clout in the state. Okay? So I'm going to read this exactly as this report said, because, you know, I... I don't want Mosaic lawyers coming after me. Not that there's anything to get, but still. Quote, the stack in Mulberry is managed by Mosaic, a Fortune 500 company with significant political clout in the state and which produces the majority of phosphate fertilizer in the U.S., end quote. Mosaic has had some issues, all right? First of all, in 2015, they settled with the EPA, Okay. So in 2015, apparently this settlement was reached. The Mosaic, uh, Mosaic settled with the EPA and the Department of Justice. Okay, so it wasn't just environmental allegations. There was, I guess, some suspected criminality. Otherwise, DOJ wouldn't have been involved. Uh, and this was uh, regarding alleged violations, quote, of the Federal Reserve Conservation and Recovery Act, related to the proper storage and disposal of hazardous waste at sites in Florida and Louisiana. Okay? Quote, end quote. Okay, it goes on to say, in quote, in response to an emailed request for comment, 
Jackie Barron, a spokesperson for Mosaic, wrote, quote, the company made the decision to settle the matter and move forward. It's important to note the debate involved the handling of hazardous waste on site. There was never any action or concern involving any kind of off-site impact, end quote. Wow, that's really convenient for Mosaic, isn't it? I mean, I'm just asking the question. So is Miss Barron, Jackie Barron, is she claiming that these mountains of phosphogypsum that emit radon, because that somehow they magically didn't enter the air off-site? Is that what she's claiming? Because if she has, I, you know, and if she believes it, I have a bridge in Brooklyn. I can sell it really cheap. I mean, that's just so asinine. I can't believe it. But it's also what probably I suspect. I can't prove. I suspect this is what Mosaic's attorneys told her to say. It's very specifically and very cautiously worded. It didn't involve any kind of offsite impact. Okay, so then it would have met industry standards. Okay. But we really don't know if that's true or not. Now, one thing we can credit Mosaic with, in all fairness, Mosaic, according to this report, Mosaic did report the 2016 sinkhole immediately, okay, in all fairness. Now, the company called it, quote, a water loss incident. And that, you know, according to the EPA, so basically, Mosaic, in all fairness, Mosaic did report 2016 sinkhole, I'll reiterate, immediately, although the company watered down the language and called it a, quote, water loss incident, end quote. And they made these reports to the EPA, as well as the Florida Department of Environmental Protection and Polk County. However, according to this report, and as documented by TampaBay.com, not a single one of these agencies, not the company, not a single public official alerted the local community until after three weeks had passed. Yes. And you kind of wonder, okay, maybe if they weren't afraid, I, I don't know, why three weeks, okay? Could it have been that after three weeks they were afraid it was going to leak out, so they had to report it to the community? This should have been reported to the community immediately. Now, our friend Steve Andrews, the your reporter from Channel 8, reported, quote, there was a lot of anger that the state didn't make it public. People felt they were being put in danger that a state was maybe too cozy with a big industry, end quote. Yeah, Mr. Andrews, I'd say you're right. Okay, I would have been angry too. And they most definitely were being put in danger. Probably, the, you know, and then, as for the cozy relationship between big industry and certain politicians, we're going to find, we're going to touch upon that today. We're going to have more of it probably next week. Now, the DEP, which is the Department of Environmental Protection in Florida, um, they basically sent no response, no comment on the criticism. Uh, according to the report, a Polk County representative Quote, responded, the Mosaic notified the appropriate state and federal agencies. The representative did not address the delay in notifying the public, end quote. Isn't that cozy and convenient? You got to wonder why. Besides, why did they delay notifying the public? And if they weren't, and then again, could it have been they had no intention 
of notifying the public that maybe they were afraid something was going to leak out? Again, these are questions. I don't know. Questions, not accusations. All right. You have to play acute because, you know, big corporations love pushing slap suits to shut people up. But these are questions. They are not actionable in court. All righty. So, furthermore, there was a spokesperson from the EPA, and they did confirm that Mosaic notified the proper agencies, including the following, the National Response Center, uh, the State Watch Office within the Division of Emergency Management, and um, the EPA spokesperson also said, quote, both emergency center notifications are publicly available immediately upon entry into the system, end quote. Yeah, but the public wasn't notified until after three weeks had passed. How much of that sinkhole, you know, again, you go back here and what you look at, you know, let's see here. I lost my place, folks. Yeah, how long? I mean, for three weeks. That sinkhole sent this water into the this polluted water into the aquifer, which is a major source of drinking water for the state. And for three weeks, people didn't know they were drinking what, what possibly was tainted water. For three weeks. And by tainted, I mean uh, unacceptable levels according to present legal and scientific standards of potential carcinogens and other um, other waste products, other products, period, and chemicals that could harm human and animal health. How's that for careful wording? Yeah, there's a reason why lawyers hate me. Okay, moving on here. So, I lost my, I'm sorry, folks. Okay. Um, so, Steve Andrews is right. Now, Mosaic did report once again, and this is according to, as documented by www.mosaicfloridaphosphate.com community, Polk County. Uh, and Mosaic reported that there were, quote, no off-site impacts from the incident, end quote. And that was according to extensive monitoring data. Okay, notice how they keep pushing there no off-site impacts. In other words, yeah, this sinkhole developed, and this water spilled into the aquifer, which is the main source of drinking water for people in Florida. But there was no off-site impacts. Well, if that's the case, why did they, why did whoever withhold the information from the people for three freaking weeks? How in the world, if if this sinkhole dumped this waste product water into the main drinking water supply in Florida. How in the world could there be no off-site impacts from the incidents they claim? And if, it's, if that's true, what data that's been cross-referenced by independent sources can Mosaic provide to prove this claim? Seriously. Legitimate questions, not accusations. Okay, so, and then in May in 2018, two years later, the sinkhole was plugged with 20,000 cubic yards of grout. Um, and the company claims they've updated their systems to monitor the site. Okay. Now, all right, that's part of this whole thing. Okay, this, this gets 
more and more convoluted. You just got to wonder about these people. And I'm going to do my best to try and explain this because this is complicated. Alrighty, so there are rules regarding how phosphogypsum, you know, is dealt with. Um, here's the kicker, though. Regulation of certain types of waste, like phosphogypsum specifically, is limited on the federal level. And it's been limited since 1989. You wonder, okay, how could that happen? Well, the EPA... Um, you know, changed the law a little bit. So I'm going to read this. Quote, since 1989, the EPA has mandated, with some exceptions, that phosphate producers dispose of phosphogypsum in the stacks because of the risk that it could emit radon. Okay. Now, it goes on to say, quote, according to the EPA, a crust forms on the stacks as the material dries out, limiting the amount of radon that can escape and protecting the waste from getting blown around by the wind. End quote. Okay, again, I'd like to see the studies. I don't know if that's true or not. I'll, that's what it says. Now, Fertilizer Institute, again, produced a report in 2019 that stated that, quote, 85% of phosphogypsum around the world is discarded or stored each year. Uh, quote, the rest is used as a soil amendment, agricultural fertilizer, or in building materials, end quote. Okay, this... It, it, I really wouldn't want this stuff in my as a building material in my home. Like, you know, if I'm adding a room to my house, I don't want phosphogypsum in the building materials. But it gets worse. Don't worry. Let me kind of clean off my glasses here. Oh, man. Just, you know, just when you think things are reasonable. and mm. Okay. This... Report by Undark goes on to say, quote, but gypsum stacks and wastewater from phosphoric acid production are exempt, here's the kicker, from the EPA's hazardous waste standards, which establish base federal criteria for managing waste from cradle to grave. Instead, states are responsible for managing those materials. Okay. This stuff creates radon. Radon is a proven carcinogen but the EPA omitted it from from being um, held to the what's called hazardous waste standards why why did this happen how could this happen and of course the according to the undark uh, report industry officials claim that you know existing environmental standards they're plenty strict we don't need it any to be stricter you know, I guess these same industry industry officials are the ones that would go, you know, what are you worried about? You're just a little bit pregnant. Nothing's going to happen. I mean, maybe they think we're that stupid. I don't know. Now, of course, the environmental advocates disagree with what industry officials have to say. Uh, the Center for Biological Diversity, as well as another group called People for Protecting Peace River, filed a petition with the EPA. And this petition was on behalf of more than another dozen environmental groups. And this was in 2021. And they asked the EPA to change how it regulates the disposal of phosphogypsum and processed wastewater. So it's two things, phosphogypsum as well as the processed wastewater. 
Now, according to the UNDARC report, quote, the EPA has so far denied one part of the environmentalist formal petition, a request to require testing of phosphogypsum and processed wastewater. I've got to read that one again because it's so outrageous. Okay, I mean, this is outrageous, all right? Again, according to the UNDARC report, quote, the EPA has so far denied one part of the environmentalist formal petition, namely a request to require testing of fossil gypsum and processed wastewater, end quote. Wow. So here's the thing. I'm sure that the industry lawyers love this because face facts. If you don't test it and you don't have recent data from, you know, effective assessment, then you don't have the data to prove damage. Okay? It's really that simple. <laughs> Keep in mind, this request, this, um, this petition, if you will, and you can look at the petition at the source, which is www.biologicaldiversity.org under campaigns. This petition, um, again, it was um, it was pushed in 2021 by the administration. So you can't blame Trump for this one. In fact, the more you get into the story, what you find is since the 1970s, practically the president has colluded with various industries because, you know, money – and people with money have far more rights than all the rest of us, let's be honest. And while some things such as campaign contributions, both Dems and Republicans, may be technically legal, it is unethical. You know, it may be technically legal, but not only is it unethical, it is influence peddling. Make no mistake about it. It is corruption at the highest levels. There is no other way to put it. And I'm blaming corporate Democrats as much as I am Republicans. There's only a handful of true progressive voices. And that's it. People like Bernie Sanders, people like Katie Porter, AOC, Cori Bush. It's not coming from the rest. Make no mistake about it. Okay? So, turns out... Uh, Let's see. This is a letter here from EPA. You can look at it at epa.gov. And so the petition from these environmental groups was filed in February 2021. In May 2021, the EPA sent a letter to the petition to the petitioners. And the EPA told the petitioners that they did that apparently the petitioners did, quote, not set forth the facts establishing that it is necessary for the agency to issue such a rule, end quote. So apparently the EPA is telling the petitioners that you didn't really produce data or proof that says it's necessary for the EPA to require testing of phosphogypsum and processed wastewater. I find that really difficult to believe. And I know in a later show I'm going to look at the petition in some depth. Now, the EPA told UNDARC that it's still reviewing the rest of the petition, quote, but did not say when it will complete its full response. Now, keep in mind, the part of the petition that 
really has the meat is the the requirement of te- uh, is basically requiring testing of phosphogypsum in processed wastewater. Without that, you don't have the data to prove your case. That's it. So EPA is playing political games. Um, you know, again, the petitioners hoping the Biden administration will you know get with the stick. I don't believe they will. Now. Uh, one of the environmental groups involved is a group called Minnesota 88, and Glenn Compton is the chair. According to Mr. Compton, he is quoted as saying, quote, We hope it moves in the right direction, but changes on the federal level can take quite some time. Um, so I can't say I'm optimistic. I would say I'm hopeful, end quote. Well, Mr. Compton is far more hopeful than I am. You know, Joe Biden's always been corporate. Let's get real. If it was Bernie Sanders, I'd say, yeah, you have reason for hope. Any of the corporate Democrats? No. When it comes to issues like this and being bought off by big industry, they're just as guilty as the Republican colleagues. You know, it's a game to them. Now, there is a long history of phosphogypsum stacks in Florida. I love to call these things stacks. When you look at the photographs, they don't look like stacks. They look like small mountains. Seriously. They ain't no stacks. These are mountains, but they keep calling it that. Um, but they have a long history in Florida. Uh, we're going back now to 1983, west of Polk County. The Hillsborough Board of County Commissioners, they had a public hearing, and they were considering a request by a chemical company called the Gardinier Chemical Company, and they wanted to open a new phosphogypsum stack. Now, it's important to note, Gardinier, I don't know if I'm saying that right or not, was later on acquired. No, they were bought out by Cargill. And then Cargill formed Mosaic through a merger. And the merger was between Cargill's Crop Nutrition Division and Mining and Production Company, IMC Global. And that happened in 2004. And then in 2011, Cargill split from Mosaic. Okay. And this is documented by, as documented in Investors dot mosaicco.com resources inv- investor FAQs. This is common in big business when they when they figure out that mm, this might cost them some money. They might be guilty of illegal dumping. Again, might what they do is they sell it off to somebody. We had that happen here in St. Louis with um, radioactive. Waste illegally dumped in parts of St. Louis County. Okay? Um, Nothing new here. Uh, But all the parties involved should be brought to account. Okay? Now, again, going back to 1983, now we get to the environmental racism component, and it is there. The stack that Gardinier wanted to build in 1983 is going to be built near... um, an area called Progress Village, and it was this Progress Village was near Tampa. There was an elementary school nearby, and Progress Village just happened to be, get this, a lower middle income black community. Gee whiz, I'm stunned. Not, I'm being sarcastic, obviously. Um, so the evening of the actual, you know, request, that room was so packed, the meeting had to be postponed, and they had to find a larger space to hold it. Now, several months went on, community members from you know, in, the, in the hundreds went to public hearings. Among the 
and this is again back in 1983, one of the um, public members that had a concern was medical school professor Gary Lyman, Dr. Gary Lyman, who's also an oncologist. So Dr. Lyman is a professor of medicine at the University of South Florida, at that time anyway, and an oncologist, which is a cancer specialist. And he submitted a report to the board, and it suggested that radioactive phosphogypsum could pose a health risk. Um, Lyman was quoted as saying, quote, it didn't seem to make any sense to any of us that you take a chance with children just because the community is in an area somewhat impoverished and can't legally fight a company, end quote. Now, this is um, what Dr. Lyman told Undark. Okay, so I stand corrected. This quote came from um, Dr. Lyman quoting Undark for this report. Um, Needless to say, the county officials approved the new stack in 1984. Now, the Federal Register, a couple months later, you know, reported that the EPA's initial risk assessments were damning. Okay? The Federal Register reported that the initial risk assessments conducted by the EPA for phosphogypsum stacks found that, quote, Individual lifetime risk from exposure to air emissions from these piles may be as high as 8 in 10,000. Population risk may be on the order of one fatal cancer per year, end quote. That may not sound like a lot to people. It is really statistically highly significant. Um, The American Medical Association in 1985 came out against this. They report on dangers to health, including, quote, Increased rates of leukemia, okay? So in 1985, uh, the journal, the American Medical Association, published a separate report, okay? And it's at jamanetwork.com. And this report was by Dr. Lyman and some of his colleagues. They had found a correlation, quote, they had found, quote, a correlation between high levels of radiation contamination in groundwater near phosphate ore deposits and increased rates of leukemia, end quote. Also in 1985, the researchers looked at mortality rates in fertilizer production workers, okay? So they examined, you know, the mortality or death rates among these workers um, who are working, they're doing, producing phosphate fertilizer. Um, This was at a Florida plant between 1951 and 1976. This was before the federal government updated mining safety legislation. Now, in a 2015 update, reading straight from Undark again, quote, researchers found elevated lung levels of lung cancer and leukemia in workers as compared to the broader U.S. and Florida, end quote. This stuff is not good. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to check our time real fast here. All right. Don't want time to get away from me. 1988, Dr. Lyman and other researchers found more elevated cancer risk. Um, So according to, as documented by academic, oh, this is hard to see, even with my glasses, academicoup.com. Anyway, you can look at it and see it yourself. Lyman and some of his and some other researchers found, quote, an elevated risk of lung cancer for male non-smokers 
who lived in the Central Florida phosphate mining region, end quote. Here's the kicker, which really kills me, according to Undark. I'm, again, I'm going to read straight from it. I don't want these crazy lawyers saying I misspoke. Quote, there appear to be no other comprehensive epidemiological studies that evaluate whether phosphate mining or phosphogypsum pose a threat to human health, end quote. But there needs to be comprehensive epidemiological studies, and it needs to be conducted by scientists outside of the industry so they can be honest. Okay, so, but there's more. Um, there was a professor at the University of California, Riverside, uh, a professor named Carl Cranor. And uh, Professor Cranorn is a professor of legal and moral philosophy. And he's written quite a bit about toxic threats to public health. And, you know, he cited the difficulties doing that kind of work, including finding funding. To quote uh, Professor Cranor, quote, they have to find resources to process results, all that takes time and expertise and effort, those are barriers, end quote. Um, and they also have to find individuals, you know, who were exposed and determine how much they were exposed. You know, once again, this is an argument for the fact that we need to have independently funded, honest research that private industry cannot bury. It's the only way we're going to get honest science, my opinion. Okay, so we're moving on here. A few years before, people in Florida began to argue over the, phospho, the proposed phosphogypsum stack in Hillsbury County. The federal government reevaluated how to deal with, um, you know, the problem of municipal and industrial race, waste. Excuse me. So in 1976, Congress passed the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act, and it's supposed to govern how, you know, the, how we dispose of hazardous waste and solid waste. Now, and this is known as the RCRA. Resource Conservation Recovery Act. So the RCRA rules then were updated in 1980. Now this is why phosphogypsum um, isn't regulated like other, you know, other dangerous waste. Apparently in 1980 they they pushed an amendment called the Bevel Ex Exclusion. Now the Bevel Exclusion ironically was named for Tom Bevel, who was a Democratic congressman for Alabama. He was also the son of a coal miner. But the Bevel Exclusion Amendment allowed, quote, certain waste to be excluded from federal regulation as a hazardous waste. Okay. Now the exclusions, quote, were pending an EPA study on the potential adverse health and environmental risk of each waste. Phosphogypsum related wastewater were among the 20 mineral processing waste that the EPA considered for exemption, end quote. And then in July of 1990, the EPA published their findings on mineral processing waste. And here's what they got. Quote, the EPA stated that, quote, both active and inactive phosphogypsum stacks and wastewater cooling ponds for which there was data had caused groundwater contamination and that the waste contained high levels of radon, end quote. So you would think that would qualify it, right, for that exclusion. I mean, that would qualify it for, you know, not being part of the exclusion, to be under the RCRA rules. But the agency 
also discovered that, you know, asking the industry to comply to a stricter program might be cost prohibitive for the industry. So it might cost them more money than they want to spend. And because of the higher cost, the EPA basically at least tentatively decided the RCRA's less stringent rules would be fine to apply to phosphogypsum and processed wastewater. In other words, money trumped public safety and public health. Okay. Now the EPA then created a committee to assess, again, reading straight from this, this report, whether phosphogypsum and processed wastewater could be regulated under the Toxic Substances Control Act, Control Act, which regulates chemicals produced or imported into the U.S., end quote. But that committee just, they weren't able, they just couldn't identify suitable changes that could, you know, reduce the volume or toxicity of phosphogypsum or processed wastewater. Again, UNDARC uh, requested an interview with representatives from the EPA. This would have been the Biden administration. This report was released in 2022. EPA did not make anyone available. Now, the RCRA's non-hazardous waste program, you know, basically requires the states. The states are going to implement the federal regs, and states are allowed to set stricter requirements. Do you honestly believe that DeSantis is going to insist on stricter regulations against a big industry? I don't think so. Nope. They do have a quote here from Florida in 2022, that is, Florida EPA spokesperson Deanne Miller. Uh, it was an email that Deanne Miller sent to Undark, and she wrote that the state has, quote, some of the most stringent rules, end quote, regarding permitting and regulating phosphogypsum stacks, um, including criterion for the, quote, construction, operation, maintenance, inspection, environmental monitoring, closure, and long-term care of closed stacks, end quote. Okay. Again, this was in 2022. And they list an example, like Florida requires that stacks have protective liners. I don't know how effective they are, but they do require that. Um, Florida also requires owners of those stacks to prove that they have the financial ability to close the stack, but also maintain it in, you know, for many years to come in the long run. Here's where it gets even really interesting. <clears throat> Just when you think it couldn't get more corrupt, right? This goes back now to 2004. There was a U.S. House of Representatives subcommittee, and it was they held a hearing at the Southwest Florida Management I'm sorry, they held a hearing at the Southwest Florida Water Management District headquarters. They were going to talk about, you know, the mountains of phosphogypsum piling up. Now, during the hearing, researchers discussed their proposed uses. Now, the researchers aren't really identified here, but apparently during the hearing, alleged researchers, I, I presume representing the industry, proposed various uses for phosphogypsum, including <laughs> road construction filler, okay, landfill cover, erosion control, and, oh, the last one really gets me, 
cat litter. Yes, you can have phosphogypsum in your cat litter, and it will emit this lovely radon gas, which will cause cancer in your cat and in your family. Wow. Obviously sarcastic, but good God, could they get any moronic? Okay. So, the EPA before this had, you know, banned the use of waste in road construction. Rightfully so. The EPA was worried that the homes could be built on top of abandoned roads and expose residents to radon and a proven carcinogen. Now, at this March 2004 hearing, the subcommittee's chairman was Representative Adam Putnam from Florida. And Mr. Putman shows up in other instances, too. He's rewarded after this, make no mistake about it, or at least it appears that way to me. So Mr. Representative Putman um, questioned Elizabeth Cotsworth, who was in 2004 the director of the EPA's Office of Radiation and Indoor Air, and he was questioning why the agency had this ban and uh, was complaining the agency was unwilling to work with the industry to consider new uses for the material. Apparently Mr. Putman was... I don't know, either too morally, excuse me, too morally um, challenged or intellectually challenged to hear the part about radon. So Cotsworth told on Dark, I'm just reading again, that, you know, this focused and specific hearing of that nature was really unusual. Okay. It was, it was the only one she had heard. And Cotsworth was quoted as saying, she, Cotsworth told Undark, quote, I thought it was an effort to embarrass the agency to make us look like pinheaded bureaucrats that didn't listen, that we were just, that we were not just overly conservative and inconsistent in decision making, but that we've been sloppy. We were kind of in the crosshairs in our own processes and our science and our decision making, end quote. Now, Keep in mind, Putman, according to Undark, didn't respond, even though Undark made multiple requests for comment. So how does Putman play, Put, Putnam play into this? That was in 2004. Since then, so it gets worse, okay? According to NBC Miami uh, in South Florida, uh, Putman, Putnam, I keep saying it wrong, okay? In 2011, went on to become Florida State Agricultural Commissioner, um, and apparently, a company that does business in Florida, okay, and paid allegedly $10,000 for his daughter's chocolate hazelnut cake, and this is the cake that was entered into a county fair, okay. Now, it might be a tasty cake, you know, at least for a nine-year-old, but I don't think it's worth $10,000. In fact, NBC, and again, this is kind of funny because NBC, you know, one of the lines is, quote, something smelled about the proposal and it wasn't the fertilizer. Now, the cake won Best Treat at the Polk County Fair. It was auctioned off. And according to this, quote, that's when fertilizer giant Mosaic stepped in with the briefcase of cash for a piece of cake. Okay? Now, 
this is what happens. So then the line, something smelled about the proposal and it wasn't the fertilizer. Put, it goes on to say, quote, Putnam, a Republican, said Friday that he made his daughter give the money back, but by then it was too late. Others had run with the stories that Putnam's hand had been caught in a cookie jar. Um, goes on to say, um, Mosaic representatives said they are not sure why an official for the company paid so much for the cake, but they are conducting an aggressive investigation, end quote. Okay. Wow. Mosaic representatives must think everybody's stupid but them. They don't know why somebody would pay so much money for a slice of cake. It was a bribe! Jesus Christ, it was a freaking bribe! And it was a really clumsy one at that. Um, So Putnam, again, he is the, you know, commissioner in Florida... In 2014, the same guy, uh, this was, this is an article by the Florida Chamber of Commerce, hardly, you know, raging liberals. These, you know, these are the people that would like someone like Putnam and Mosaic. Uh, The headline reads, ICYMI Commissioner Putnam announces Florida's roadmap to living healthy at Mosaic's second annual Florida Hunger Relief program of uh, hunger relief forum excuse me okay um putnam is quoted as saying quote the possibilities of this roadmap um okay so basically florida let me back up here so at this point in 2014 again putnam is florida's commissioner of agriculture he unveiled a new advanced web-based tool i'm reading straight from this a statewide map that identifies high-risk communities in Florida with a lack of access to nutritional foods. And he's quoted as saying, quote, the possibilities of this roadmap are unlimited. It will help state agencies like mine make better informed decisions about where we use our limited resources to support Florida communities at greater risk. This tool will this tool also will assist nonprofits, food banks, and other organizations to identify gaps in resources, determine the most effective approaches, and yield a greater impact on the residents of Florida, end quote. Well, this all sounds very lovely. Again, he's talking, this is at a hunger relief, this is Mosaic's second annual Florida Hunger Relief Program, Forum, excuse me, and it's being sponsored by Mosaic click on it there it is well that all sounds very lovely um but you know once again you have a, a company who has created these phosphogypsum stacks that are really do need to be better regulated that are releasing radon and they're pushing for other uses for phosphogypsum and so they can make more money that are potentially going to elevate cancer rates and poison the people of florida but they'll, they'll contribute, you know, uh, I guess an app or whatever to help out some food banks. So, you know, while your baby is dying from cancer, at least he can get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, again, this is too cozy. You know, whether or not Mr. Putnam broke the law remains to be seen. Whether or not Mosaic allegedly bribed him through his daughter remains to be seen, but it doesn't look good. So I would like to ask more questions about this, definitely. Um, And keep in mind, 
Mr. Putnam is the same guy, the same guy that was the um, chair of the subcommittee, you know, where basically they were demanding, the industry was demanding other uses for phosphogypsum, including not only road construction filler, which is what they just, they just passed the law in Florida that allows that now, landfill cover, erosion control, and cat litter. But, you know, then he went on to become the agricultural commissioner. And, you know, again, he got a little help for the food banks. Again, while some of this may be technically legal, it is morally bankrupt. It is influence peddling, technically legal or not, and it shouldn't be legal. Okay? So... Keep in mind that the feds ditched responsibility and placed power in each state when it was Putnam's sub- subcommittee investigating in 2004. But, of course, it has nothing to do with a Mosaic executive paying $10,000 for a slice of his nine-year-old's cake. Really? Wow. So this goes on here. I'm kind of seeing how much more we have to do here. It's a long report. I'll warn you guys. You know, it just is. Um we're coming closer, okay? And we have to get into this because, again, I have to be careful. Um, you know, it is what it is. All right. I lost my place here. Oh, Doug got it. All right. So now we're we're skipping down now. And I apologize. This seems kind of like it's all over the place. But... When this report did its digging, that's how they found it, okay? Mm. So now we have the Florida director of the Center for Biological Diversity, Jacqueline Lopez. And she's one of the, you know, critics throughout the U.S. that are saying the standards for dealing with, you know, phosphogypsum and and the wastewater um, all across the U.S., not just in Florida, they're not only inconsistent but they're insufficient. And of course they are. This is what happens when you have those public-private partnerships. I hate that. Okay, The public should service the public. There shouldn't be no partnership there. There's a total conflict of interest. So Jacqueline Lopez said, um, that quote, that's why we're petitioning the federal government to take over responsibilities because the state has shown itself incapable or unwilling to do the job well enough. It's true. So in 2021, the petitioner asked the EPA to reverse the Beville exclusion, specifically so that specifically phosphogypsum and processed wastewater would actually be under the stricter waste rules of the RCRA. And it would also begin a process to evaluate the waste under another act called the Toxic Substances Control Act. It would also require testing of the waste to make sure that they don't Um, become an unreasonable risk of injury to human health or the environment. And they also want the EPA to uh, issue a determination, quote, that using phosphogypsum as a filler in road construction is a significant new use in order to prohibit or limit it, end quote. But here's what they're up against. Phosphate mining is big money in Florida. It just is. There was an impact study, um, prepared for Port Tampa Bay in 2016, an economic impact study, and they found that the fertilizer industry, phosphatic fertilizer industry, in other words, that uses, that 
this type of stuff. That it generated $12.2 billion, with a B, in total economic value to just that region. They also went on to say, and I'm reading from the report again, quote, Mosaic owns more than 317,000 acres of property in central Florida, making it a significant landowner in the state by its own estimation, end quote. And that's as uh, documented by www.sec.gov. So this is Mosaic's filings with the SEC. It's not Janini making it up. Mosaics also spent millions on lobbying and political contributions. Uh, it's on document cloud at all levels, local, state, and federal. And that's, again, according to lobbying disclosure and campaign finance records. Um, the, you know, Mr. Baron, the, 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 the spokesperson for Mosaic, somebody named Barron, um, you know, was asked about those campaign contributions. Again, they're still bribed. They may be technically legal. It's still influence peddling. Okay? Might be technically legal, but it shouldn't be. So Barron, who's the spokesperson for Mosaic, was asked about those contributions. And Barron said, quote, Mosaic supports various campaigns, much like any other much like much like many other companies and individuals, end quote. Now, this doesn't just fall on DeSantis. When Rick Scott, you know, proven crook actually, was governor of Florida in 2013. He had $14,000 worth of Mosaic stock, and that was according to a public disclosure that was filed with the Florida Commission on Ethics. Again, Undark, comment, uh, Undark uh, contacted representatives for Scott with a list of emailed questions. Those representatives for Rick Scott did not respond. Um, political figures are active in this industry because, you know, it's big money, okay? The Center for Public Integrity, which I love, um, reported that EPA scientists do worry about radiation levels. Um, I'm going to read straight from this from Center for Public Integrity. Quote, EPA scientists have been concerned about the radiation levels around reclaimed mines in Lakeland, Florida, since at least the 1970s according to a report by the Center for Public Integrity. Um, and this goes on to say, in 2014, though, the EPA abandoned the plan to clean up a contaminated site. Get this, after state elected officials intervened, end quote. See, apparent, now that's in 2014. Then later on, during the Trump administration, Mosaic wanted to um, build a relationship with the EPA, uh, and there's a woman named Katie Walsh who is an RNC Republican National Committee official. And I guess the question is, did she collude with Mosaic's president and CEO to fix the rules? Again, it's a question, not an accusation. So what, here's what happens. Again, we're going back and forth here. So in June 2017, Katie Walsh, who is this Republican National Committee official, sent an email to the EPA's policy chief. And in that email, she requested a meeting, and the meeting was going to be between Mosaic's president and CEO, Jock O'Rourke, and Scott Pruitt, who was the EPA administra administrator at that time. Now, the Sierra Club filed a lawsuit that made this communication public, all right? Now, the email that Katie Walsh sent made, um, 
Uh, Walsh also noted that Mosaic had been, quote, egregiously overregulated during the Obama administration, uh, end quote. She went on to say that it was a situation that had placed an, quote, unnecessary and costly regulatory burden, end quote, on the company. Now, their agency, agency emails for the EPA in August 2017 show that, yes, EPA officials had scheduled or were scheduling rather a dinner um, with a woman named Eileen Stewart. Now, at that time, Eileen, Eileen Stewart was Mosaic's then vice president of government and regulatory affairs, quote, who was involved with the comp- company's lobbying at- efforts. And the email also noted, and this is as documented by, okay, anyway, the email also noted that um, Eileen Stewart was also close to then-Governor Rick Scott, as well as former Florida, Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi. Now, Eileen Stewart isn't with the Mosaic anymore, and she also told Undark that that meeting never took place because she had scheduling problems, but didn't give any additional comment beyond that. Okay. And apparently, Ms. Stewart expects us to believe that. I'm going to say a bad word. I guess she expects us to believe that unadulterated bullshit. All right. So so then the spokesperson for Mosaic, Mr. Barron, was asked whether Mosaic had ever met with EPA officials. And Barron replied that the company, quote, has regular meetings with all of the government entities that regulate the industry, which include those at the county, state, and federal level, end quote. Okay, so then it gets worse still. Trump in office, Trump's EPA reversed the rule. You know, the EPA for a long time had this rule for like over 20, no, 30 years. For 30 years, the EPA said that phosphogypsum couldn't be used in roads, period. But in October of 2020, Trump's EPA reversed that rule. Okay? Um, now, to Biden's credit, because you've got to be fair, the Biden administration, as soon as he got in office in 2021, Biden administration withdrew that approval. Okay? But here's the deal. 2021, okay, so the Trump administration basically – reversed the rule that phosphogypsum couldn't be used in roads, and that was in October of 2020. For 30 years, you couldn't do that. Then in 2021, the Biden administration withdrew that approval. But they only withdrew the approval after a lawsuit was filed by the Center for Biological Diversity and some other groups. Okay? So, again, I believe in telling the whole truth here. You know, if you want brownie points for me, then you better really earn them, okay, because I don't play. We're getting close. To, i got to hope i got to speed this up here. It's a lot of information. I realize that. So Lopez of the Center for Biological Diversity, um, you know, said that, quote, phosphogypsum presents a significant environmental justice risk that needs to be addressed, um, end quote. She also said that approving the petition that they had filed, quote, would be consistent with the administration's stated priorities of protecting vulnerable communities from disproportionate harm from corporate polluters, end quote. Now, April 2021, DeSantis' governor, he did declare to his credit a state of emergency in Manatee, Hillsborough, and Pinellas counties, which required 300 homes, which required 300 homes to be evacuated. 
And what happened was there was a plastic liner in this phosphogypsum stack at Piney Point. Um, and it, and it, this was um, a 77-acre retention pond that was on top of the phosphogypsum stack. And that plastic liner had leaked, and it was threatening to basically flood, you know, the surrounding community with some 460 million gallons of acidic water. So to avoid a flood with this acidic water, the Florida State EPA ordered that more than 200 million gallons of the water, which, you know, was on top of this phosphogypsum stack, be discharged into Port Manatee, which would let field crews repair the leak. Um, then the crisis pushed Florida lawmakers to aside $100 million to clean up Piney Point, and then DeSantis ordered the DEP to close the facility. By mid-April, the leak had been temporarily repaired, but in early January 2022, the state announced, quote, it identified three low-volume seepage areas and was working to contain them. I love this type of language, seepage areas. It's called what it is. It's leak. You know, it's like here in St. Louis, we have these underground, um, this illegally dumped radioactive waste, and it's got underground um, methane fires that rage on for years. And they call it a, um, what's they call it? A chemical, subsurface chemical reaction. It's a fire, okay? It's crazy. Yeah, but again, the lawyers tell these groups to use this softer language to con the public, in my opinion. Now, um, now there were public announcements that were made in January of 2022. Uh, this is according to ProtectingFloridaTogether.gov that said, quote, there continues to be no in indication of any concern with the integrity or stability of the stack system, and there are no off-site discharges occurring at this time. Um, Environmentalists say, no, there's ongoing problems, we need stricter regs, and they filed a lawsuit against the Florida Department of Environmental Protection and others. In response to that lawsuit, the, um, let's see now, the Fertilizer Institute, okay, don't you love that name? They're lobbyists for the fertilizer industry, okay. The Fertilizer Inst Institute, um, filed a 100-page document that would oppose any pending EPA petition from the Center for Biological Diversity or any other environmental groups. They said that existing federal and national regulations, some that were enacted after the Bevel Amendment, um, it's already good enough. Takes, that takes some balls, doesn't it? That's disgusting. Uh, So this goes on. Mm. Let me check our time. Ooh, 44 minutes. I told you, it's a lot of information. Uh, now, again, they had this problem at Piney Point. Now, there's a separate letter that was sent by the, Fertilizers Insti the Fertilizer Institute's Vice President of Governmental Affairs, a man named Ed Thomas. And he basically in the letter said the Piney Point facility, quote, is not representative of phosphate facilities currently in operation, end quote, because phosphoric acid production had stopped there in 1999. Yeah, but that doesn't mean the phosphoric acid and the byproducts just magically disappeared. <laughs> um, 
and you know, the it's been mentioned the EPA has never approved the reversal of a bevel exclusion when applied to a mining waste. Um, they have here the mention of an environmentalist, environmentalist who lives in Mulberry, Florida. Uh, and Mulberry is at the center of four different stacks, and her name's Luella Phillips, and she hopes that the EPA will see this as an environmental justice issue. Luella was Luella Phillips was quoted as saying, "Quote: People who live in an environment like this aren't getting justice. Who's going to take care of the phosphogypsum when they leave? You can't clean that up." End quote. Now there is an update to this uh, report. Uh, there was an editing error. So an earlier version of the piece stated that the 2021 petition filed by the Center for Biological Diversity and People for Protecting Peace River asked the EPA to reverse the Bevel Amendment. I'm reading straight from this quote. It has been corrected to note that the petition asked the agency to reverse the Bevel exclusion for phosphogypsum and processed wastewater, not the amendment itself. Similarly, the piece has been updated to clarify that the EPA has never before approved the reversal of a Bevel exclusion applied to a mining waste rather than the reversal of the amendment, end quote. Okay, so this report was prepared for UNDARC by Bianca Fortis, and Bianca Fortis is a journalist. She's based in Brooklyn, New York, and this story was supported by a grant from the Pulitzer Center. Okay, so now we're going to skip ahead here, folks. Believe it or not, I have more information, but we will not have time to get through it all. There will be a part three, I guarantee it. Okay, give me a second here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put on a little uh, little noise. was a mistake. All right, we're back. So, again, that was our first story, story number one, our big story on the Environmental Justice Report. We will be talking more about this, all right? This gets deeper and deeper, and I want to make sure that I do it justice. So now we're going to move on to story number two, a little break here. Uh, this is about, well, here, this is a piece written by Jake Johnson on Common Dreams. It was published May 27th, and the headline is Enormous Policy Failure. States throw hundreds of thousands, including many children, off Medicaid. It goes on to say, quote, we knew this was coming, wrote one policy expert, but we still treat these burdens like they're unavoidable natural disasters, end quote. So the federal government has basically told the states, you're on your own. They've thrown hundreds of thousands of low-income people off Medicaid, in recent weeks. Now, you have to understand something. You have to understand how freaking impoverished you have to be to qualify for Medicaid. It's unbelievable. It's, it's less than minimum wage. All right? And this is about our basic humanity as a people. I don't care what anyone says. Healthcare is a human right. This is your life. Personally, I don't care if somebody gets rich 
marketing or selling luxury items. Go ahead. I don't care. I do care when they get rich off of human suffering. All right? And this is more than a dozen states, according to this piece, including Florida, as well as many other Republican-led states. I'm sure Missouri is going to be one of them. They've refused, And I know Missouri refused to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Okay? And they're removing people from Medicaid now. And this is an unwinding. All right? And the unwinding is from this pandemic federal policy that kept uh, state governments from kicking people off Medicaid. All right. So now Joe Biden has gone along with this and said, well, you know, it's an unwinding now. We're not going to we're not going to force states to, you know, basically keep Medicaid. And it's being celebrated as bipartisanship. You know, the problem with bipartisanship is that we got shit on. Make no mistake about it. You know, we have the most expensive medical care system in the world with the worst results. Okay? Personally, I'm fully insured. I pay through the nose for it. But it's still so expensive, I don't know if I can really afford to get sick. All right? So, but there was a bipartisan deal late last year. Congress agreed, and this is according to ccf.georgetown.edu. Uh, the, um, this was in December of 2022. The headline was Medicaid unwinding will begin in April, but there's good news in congressional funding agreement. Well, it wasn't. Congress agreed to cut off pandemic protections, and one of those pandemic protections temporarily uh, prevented, temporarily forbid state governments from kicking people out of Medicaid. All right? Now, these states that want to do this and want to kick people out of Medicaid, they have 12 months to, quote, redetermine who is eligible for this program. Okay? But every state has their own procedures. Uh, Medicaid enrollees, they have to complete a lot of very confusing paperwork. They have to verify their income, address, disability status and other factors Um, now some states have done public outreach campaigns to make sure that Medicaid recipients understand what they need to do but most enrollees across the country according to this article quote we're not aware that states are now permitted to resume disenrolling people from the Medicaid program end quote and that was according to new survey data from the Kaiser Family Foundation so Subsequently, the New York Times reported that, quote, many people lost coverage for procedural reasons, such as when Medicaid recipients did not return paperwork to verify their eligibility or could not be located, end quote. Now, here's the thing about this paperwork nonsense. When you're sick, you don't know what you're signing. This is really ridiculous. Uh, The quote goes on to say, quote, the large number of terminations on procedural grounds suggests that many people may be losing their coverage even though they are still qualified for it, end quote, according to the New York Times. They go on to say, quote, many of those who have been dropped have been children. I'm going to repeat that one. According to New York, the New York Times, quote, many of those who have been dropped have been children, end quote. So much for the pro-life mantle, right? The GOP is not pro-life. They're pro-forced birth. They don't care if the mother dies in childbirth. That's fine. They don't care if it's an ectopic pregnancy where basically there's no way the fetus can develop. It will die, and so will the woman. 
All they care about is denying women control over their reproductive futures, period. Once Junior's born, they don't care if Junior dies from leukemia. So there was only data released by Florida that shows that more than 205,000 people in Florida lost coverage for these asinine procedural reasons after, in April, they held these eligibility checks, okay? So Pamela Hurd, who's a professor of public policy at Georgetown University, was quoted saying, quote, we knew this was coming, but we still treat these burdens like they're unavoidable natural disasters. We need to be much more explicit about these failures because we're making a choice to allow this, okay? This goes on and on and on, okay? Um, There were 50 advocacy groups um, that demanded a Medicaid redetermination pause and they pointed out to, quote, reports of Floridians being disenrolled from Medicaid without having received notice from the state's Department of Children and Families. They sent a letter to DeSantis. Here's the kicker. Seven-year-old boy fighting leukemia will lose coverage. So I'm going to read from this quote. One of these individuals is a seven-year-old boy in remission from leukemia is now unable to access follow-up and potentially life-saving treatment. Families with children have been erroneously terminated and parents are having trouble reaching the DCF call center for help with this process. Additionally, unclear notices and lack of information on how to appeal contribute to more confusion. We are deeply concerned about those with serious, acute, and chronic conditions who will continue to lose access to their life-saving treatments during this time, along with people who risk substantial medical debt or even bankruptcy as a result of coverage loss, end quote, these groups added. Keep in mind, these are liberal groups pleading, not only to say people's lives, but including, it, it's conservatives that are fine with a seven-year-old boy, that he's in remission now, but they're fine if he dies from leukemia. Then you have Republican Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, little Miss Holier than thou. She supports Medicaid work requirements. How in the hell can you work if you're that sick? Seriously, I want to know. This burns my butt. Um, So according to the New York Times, quote, in Arkansas, more than 1.1 million people, over a third of the state's residents, were on Medicaid at the end of March 2023. In April, the first month that states could begin removing people from the program, about 73,000 people lost coverage, including about 27,000 children, 17 and under, end quote. Okay. Now, there was a Wall Street Journal op-ed, and Wall Street Journal is hardly a liberal bastion of liberal thought. Sanders herself wrote that her state is kicking people from Medicaid, quote, at the fastest pace in the nation. And she claimed that those being removed are ineligible participants. She's proud of this. That, I'm going to say it, that bitch, that heartless bitch. I'm sorry, this this is so evil, It's I can't. I can't remain calm on this one, okay? The U.S. Health and Human Services Department, they predicted or estimated upwards of 15 million people nationwide could lose Medicaid coverage during this process, okay? Dr. Cecilia Tamori, who is a public health scholar at Johns Hopkins University, wrote 
that, quote, this is such an enormous policy failure, profoundly cruel, and will contribute to furthering inequities, end quote. Okay. So this is cruel. It's intended to be cruel. Make no mistake about it. And why? So the rich don't have to pay taxes because we're nothing to them. Okay. New York Times pointed out a case of a 54-year-old Arizona woman named Deborah Miller. She lost her Medicaid coverage in April. She makes $25,000 a year as a Burger King cook. She's a single mother with diabetes and hypothyroidism. Okay. She worked with an insurance counselor um, to, you know, find some sort of marketplace plan, a $70 monthly premium. Well, she found it. Okay. The Congressional Budget Office estimated that Medicaid eligibility checks will likely leave, get this, 6.2 million people with no health insurance. So I want to know, exactly how is this pro-life? Please explain that one to me because I'm not getting it at all. This just, it, it's, it's evil. makes my blood boil. Okay. Oh, I need to calm down. All right. So we are getting ready for one of my favorite new features, my little Margie. Welcome to PNN's My Little Margie, The Misadventures of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Proof that morons can actually achieve, sort of. What will our Margie do now? Okay. So this week, what did our little blonde Neanderthal do now? Oh, wow. I'll tell you. This is something. uh, I might have mentioned this one before. This is reported by the independent.co.uk. It's a British newspaper. And this was May 25th. The headline was, Marjorie Taylor Greene faces waves of mocking laughter after asking House to follow decorum. Adam Schiff was uh, quoted as saying, quote, I haven't laughed this hard in a while. All righty. So apparently what was happening here, better get a little water here. Mm. Uh she was presiding over the House as uh, Speaker Pro Tempore, and the Majority Leader Steve Scalise, you know, the one that's a little neo-Nazi of Louisiana, was trying to speak, and he was start—he was trying to talk about the debt ceiling standoff, you know, between Biden and McCarthy, and um, you know, apparently Scalise said the following, we are in effect the only body in this town who has actually taken steps to address the debt ceiling and the spending problem in Washington, end quote. And then this prompted one lawmaker to call up Ms. Green to pound the gavel and call for order, okay? And Scalise said, I asked that the House be in order and there be some decorum on the other side, okay? So little Margie said, the members are reminded to abide by the decorum of the House. Okay, I'm going to see if you can hear this, all right? Hopefully you can. (laughs) 
see what she says. We're waiting. Come on, little Margie. <laughs> yeah, baby. <laughs> okay. If you've been following this little moron, this blonde Neanderthal, it's quite obvious that she doesn't give a damn about decorum, okay? You know, this is the woman that before she was in the house literally tra- literally stalked Cory Bush. Come on out, Cory, and stalk AOC. AOC, come on out now. Why are you hiding? Okay, this is the woman that was there on January 6th. Of course, now she's getting worried about it, you know, where basically she helped stoke up what can only be called the lynch mob. Okay, Um, you know, it's just, it's so asinine. But, you know, uh, I guess, what was it, California Jimmy Gomez said that for little Margie, Quote, calling for decorum is like Leonardo DiCaprio telling people to date people their own age. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, you know, that's just, that's too funny. I'm sorry. You know, keep in mind, this is the same woman that heckled, okay, heckled the president along with uh, moron Lauren Boebert. Here's, let's see if you can hear this. It's coming coming. Come on, little Margie. You know she's going to heckle. Come on, baby. It's the only thing she knows how to do. And she's chanting, build the wall. Build the wall. Like, look. (sighs) For Marjorie Taylor Greene to demand decorum, that would be the equivalent of Jeffrey Epstein to date somebody his own age, you know, or Donald Trump to actually tell the truth. <laughs> I don't think so. But, you know, little Margie, you can't really totally blame her because, let's face it, um, you know, little Margie is, you know, in my opinion, intellectually challenged. She, can't, you know, our little blonde Neanderthal can't help it if her IQ just didn't hit the triple digits, you know. But look at that Neanderthal brow and Look at those guns. You know, for somebody who's always worried about people, trans people, she's got some guns that don't look very womanly. I'm just going to tell you that. Can't help wondering, are you taking a little testosterone, Margie? We don't know. It's a mystery. But that is our silliness with my little Margie. All righty, here we go. That's our little. That's the silliness with my little Margie, our blonde Neanderthal that just, can't quite figure out how to even formulate a sentence beyond one single clause. You know, it just is what it is. And we just have to check weekly to see what will our little Margie get into trouble with next. It's a mystery. But all righty, that's our little Margie for this week. And now our jackass of the week. This one was hard to pick this week. I'm just going to tell you that. It, it just was. So give me a second here. Got to get this ready. You know, there's so many jackasses out there. This week it was really hard to pick one. But 
Let's get ready for our Jackass of the Week award. Here we go. Come on. Bray on. Welcome to PNN EJR's Jackass of the Week award. Bray on, Jack. Bray on. <laughs> okay. So this week, it was impossible to pick just one jackass. So this week's Jackass of the Week Award goes to mainstream, otherwise known as corporate media, and their coverage of the alleged debt ceiling bipartisan deal. Now, once again, they're following the horse race point of the story, and the fact is none of this had to happen. First of all, the debt ceiling deals with actual um, debt the United States has already incurred. And it's very clear, Jamie Raskin, who is a Democratic representative, but also a constitutional scholar and law professor, said it quite clearly. Section 4 of the 14th Amendment says that the national debt shall not be challenged. And that means that we have to pay it. So the truth is the fault goes to both Democrats and Republicans, but also the mainstream corporate media that allowed them to get away with this bullshit. The fact is, all any president had to do was invoke Section 4 of the 14th Amendment. That's it. Done. We did a whole show on this. There was no need for that. But bravo to the corporate media that had nothing better to do than, once again, be jackasses for corporate. All of them. They are fools. Bray on, corporate media. Bray on. Okay. So... Here's the deal. We're going to keep talking about Florida's radioactive roads unless, of course, something else happens. It's kind of hard. Keep in mind, this is a live show, okay? Sometimes we do uh, pre-recorded slots. That's usually if a guest, you know, to accommodate a guest. Otherwise, all these shows are live, all right? I'm sitting right here in front of my computer. Yes, I have my outline in front of me. But I don't have a script in front of me. This is all live. So we're going to be talking more about this, and we're going to talk more about Mosaic and the, collu- the alleged collusion, let's put it that way, between political um, representatives and Mosaic. Because it doesn't matter if you're a conservative or a liberal. This is about the health of you, your health and your family's health and your right to not be poisoned, you know, For too long, we've thought that, well, cancer is something that just happens mysteriously. No, it's not. Not at all. And the fact is, we need to demand more. And what we find now is we descend into what can only be called fascism. The attacks on our public schools, the attacks on intellectuals, the attacks on critical thinking. There's a reason why those in power are doing that. They do not want a population that's able to basically figure out the con. It's really that simple. You know, Donald Trump's, in my opinion, his only political talent is as a, a grifter and a con man. That's it. My opinion, I'm entitled to it. And so now... You know, what you don't know can hurt you. I'm just going to say it. Um, You know, there's been calls for tolerance, especially from corporate Dems and from Biden, saying we should all sing Kumbaya and get along. 
wrong. Okay. When the GOP openly embraced white supremacy, openly embraced what can only be called neo-Nazism, that's it. There is no dealing with them. You know, if you are of the Republican ilk, then you've got to denounce that. Otherwise, I don't want anything to do with you. It's really that simple. And, you know, being able to agree to disagree, you know what? That's fine if you're talking about pizza toppings. It's not fine when you're talking about human rights. You know, so it's really that simple. I hope you learned something from this show. Uh, I hope you also take the time to Google my name, Janine Moloff, and read some of my writings. There's old archived articles uh, from Huffington Post. There's also articles that I've published because I'm a featured columnist at Nation of Change, Eurasia Review, and others. Um, And like I said, I hope you learned something. And um, that's our show for today. With that, I say um, good night. And by whatever you believe in, God bless us because we're going to need it.